I'm Jonathan Platt, and you're listening to Direct Line Conversations, the podcast. Nobody makes it to the top alone. Now, you don't even have to try. Your journey to a life filled with purpose and leadership fueled by confidence begins right now. This week, I'm really excited to be joined by 2021 Hall of Fame Distinguished Alumna Honoree, Michelle Andrews-Smith. Michelle is the Chief of Staff and the Principal Spokesperson for the Federal Reserve Board in Washington, D.C. Since graduating from Baylor in 1990 and again in 1991 with a Master's of International Journalism, she's worked in various public sector roles to help government institutions communicate economic policy issues in a way that is clear, transparent, accountable, and accessible to the general audience. She has served as a senior advisor to four U.S. Treasury secretaries and four chairs of the Federal Reserve. Thanks so much for joining me to hear Michelle's story and celebrate her together as the Baylor family. Here's my interview with distinguished alumna Michelle Andrews-Smith. Michelle, I am so excited to be talking to you. Uh, You are one of this year's uh, distinguished alumna and receiving this award in the 2020 class of uh, the Hall of Fame awards. I, uh, I'm just, I'm so, I said it before, I'm, I keep saying it over and over. I'm just so excited to, to get to spend a little bit of time with you and to learn um, more about your story. I've, I've gotten to read your bio, I've gotten to do some research on you, and I've gotten to collect some thoughts from uh, some of your uh, colleagues, classmates, and professors. I feel like I already know you so well, uh, but for those who don't, for those who haven't gotten to meet Michelle yet, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, what your life is like, what your career has looked like, um, and what's going on right now for you? Yeah, well, thank you, John. I appreciate that. I'm a little nervous, what you may have heard. Um, There's so... no need to be nervous at all. We're here <laughs> to celebrate you. So, um, so a little bit about me. I'm the Chief of Staff at the Federal Reserve uh, in Washington. I've been in this job for almost 20 years. Uh, I love it. I've been able to work with some really fantastic people. I started at the Fed uh, working for Alan Greenspan, uh, then uh, Ben Bernanke, Janet Yellen, and now Jay Powell. And each one of those people has taught me a great deal. I feel like it's been at least four different jobs Um, So I feel really fortunate to have done that. Before that, I was at the Treasury Department, where I was Assistant Secretary for Public Affairs. I uh, was at Treasury for eight years and went to Treasury, as uh, you know, I moved to Treasury from Capitol Hill, where I was working for then-Senator Lloyd Benson from Texas. So when he came over to Treasury as the as President Clinton's first Treasury Secretary, I was fortunate enough to be able to go along with him. Um, and for the entire eight years I was at the Treasury, I worked with media, communications, external communications. Very cool. And before that, um, you did two degrees at Baylor. Could you tell me a little bit about those? Um, and then yeah. also, could you tell us about some of your uh, more personal and family life? Yes, yes, I can. So I'll do the family life first. Please. I'm a very proud uh, mom of two. I have a 23-year-old daughter, Maddie, um, and an 18-year-old son, Henry. Maddie uh, graduated from the University of Virginia a year and a half ago and is working at the Treasury Department now. 
And our son, Henry, is in his senior year of high school and is looking um, at colleges right now and anxiously awaiting those emails and uh, letters that come in the mail, letting him know uh, what schools are going to be possibilities for him. So it's a very exciting time. My husband, Blake, and I um, met actually in Waco. I was doing an internship at a publishing company uh, in my senior year of my undergraduate experience at Baylor. And uh, I met Blake there. He was uh, not my boss. I think it's important to say he was the editor on another set of magazines. Um, but uh, we met there and uh, got married uh, right after I graduated graduate school. I graduated undergraduate in May of 90 and graduate school in December of 91. Very cool. And you graduated with, um, I'm sorry, remind me of your, your first degree, which was it in? Undergrad was in a, a BA in journalism and a BA in business. Yeah. And then an MIJ. Yeah. The Masters of International Journalism. Yeah. Which is still a program that is going very strong. And I had a lot of friends graduate from the Masters of International Journalism. So it's very cool to be with yet another two journalism uh, degreed alum. So this is fun. I feel like, I feel like we already are a family. So uh, exactly. speaking, speaking of your family, you mentioned a publishing uh, place where both you and uh, your now husband worked. Which one was that in Waco? Stevens Publishing. Oh, okay. Very cool. Very cool. I always like to try to find if there's another word connection. I've just got such an interest in word as a publishing um, institution. Yeah. It gets so much of its, um, you know, uh, it gets so much attention around the music that I think it's often yeah. missed for the publishing side. So very cool. Awesome. Well, um, thanks so much for telling us about that. Um, so when you were getting ready to decide, as your son is right now, about where to go to college, what was that like nudge, pull, maybe even a calling, or just, you know, what the heck decision that caused you to go to Baylor um, when you did? So I applied to one school only, and that is um, really not on trend these days. As the parent of a senior in high school, um, he applied to 11 schools. Our daughter, um, a few years ago, did about the same number, a wide range of schools. Um, when, when I was looking at college, there was really only one school I considered, and it was Baylor. My youth director at my church had gone to Baylor. I had uh, friends in my neighborhood who had gone to Baylor, and um, it just felt like the right place for me. I didn't even visit Baylor before I showed up. Uh, to start my freshman year there. <laughs> okay, this is, this is weird because I was the exact same way. I applied to really? one school because of influence from people in my church and I had never been to Baylor before I went to do my class registration. So this is getting kind of creepy, but very yeah. cool. <laughs> so Michelle, remind me, where did you grow up? I grew up in Dallas. Very cool, very cool. Did in, in like Dallas proper or a suburb of Dallas? Yeah, in Dallas proper. Very cool. Very cool. And so you came, you came to Baylor. Did you know what you wanted to study when you came here? I thought I wanted to study business and, um, and I did, I went into the business program, um, but pretty soon was fortunate enough to take an intro to journalism class and realized that that was a place um, that really helped me express myself in writing. Um, I, I just found it to be a, uh, 
a very interesting place. I was always interested in the news. And so being able to learn how news comes together uh, was really enlightening for me and inspiring and encouraging. So uh, I never looked back after I walked into Castellaw. Is the Castellaw building still there? It is second floor. Yep. It's yep. still still there. So um, probably looks a little different. Probably looks a lot the same. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I've got I've I've got a question uh, later on about who some of those role models were. Uh, and I'd like to know who that professor was from that class. But first, I, I'd really like to ask, um, what does it mean to be receiving the Distinguished Alumna Award this year? I, you know, going back to when you graduated in, in 90 and 91, and then such a successful career. Did you ever see this on your horizon? Did you ever see this as a possibility as a Baylor student? No, I didn't. And I should say, John, that I find this deeply humbling. Um, I feel like I'm still figuring all of this out. So to be recognized in this way by Baylor is really affirming. Um, it's encouraging. It's humbling. Um, and I just, I'm really, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the opportunity that Baylor's given me and helped prepare me for the career that I've had and that I'm still having. So that's the main thing, John. I'm just very humbled. As, as somebody at the beginning of my career, it is just also so affirming to hear someone um, so storied and so successful say they're still trying to figure this out. So I, I want to thank you for that vulnerability. It really means a lot, um, especially in a time where we're all trying to figure it out and might not want to admit that. So, so uh, Michelle, I do want to go back to who some of those mentors and role models uh, were, and some of those people who inspired you to become, you know, somebody that might inspire others. Yes, well, there are uh, so many people who invested in me at Baylor. Um, I feel very fortunate. One person I'd want to highlight who stands out for me uh, at, in my Baylor experience and after is Steve Gardner. Um, I took comparative economic systems and history of economic thought with him. I have his textbook on my bookshelf right behind me and I didn't just put it there for this interview. Um, <laughs> I relied on Dr. Gardner's exceptionally good counsel for more than 30 years. Um, he keeps alums connected he keeps us at the top of our game. Uh, he challenges us to understand what we know and why we know it, and then to use that knowledge in very practical ways in our work. Um, I find him to be the very best of Baylor. So 25 years after I sat in Steve Gardner's class, um, I had stayed in touch with them through emails mostly, but sometimes through phone calls. Um, my mother very unexpectedly passed away. One of the people who reached out to me in the immediate aftermath of that was Steve Gardner. And not only did he reach out, offer support and encouragement, he showed up at her services in Dallas. He counseled me at the time. And I uh, noticed after the services, he was sitting over at a table with my daughter, who was then 22 years old, and thinking about the differences, um, the relative differences of law school 
as a path after graduation or a public policy graduate degree. And Dr. Gardner was holding court over there with her at the table and <laughs> encouraging and inspiring and investing in another generation. So um, I have found my uh, ongoing um, support from Dr. Gardner to be absolutely um, encouraging. It's been enlightening. It's been inspiring. It's helped keep me connected. He has a way of keeping keeping us all very well connected to Baylor. So I could go on and on about Dr. Gardner, but um, suffice it to say, I'm a big fan. I am too. Uh, Steve, Dr. Gardner is is one of those people who's also in my my collection uh, of mentors, and uh, I, he he speaks so highly of you, and it's 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 really uh, unsurprising, but it's it's really sweet to see that reciprocated. And I I promise you, everyone who knows Steve can imagine right now him sitting at the table with your daughter. Like we can all vividly see it happening, even though we weren't there. So. Michelle, were there any uh, classmates that you've stayed in touch with or perhaps met um, that you didn't know were, were classmates or, or members of your Baylor family once you've gotten to D.C. and started your career and, and built a legacy? Were there any Baylor connections that you got to make uh, along the way that have made it a little more possible? One that comes to mind is um, a friend from my time at Baylor, Eamon Safadi, who is now the foreign minister of Jordan. Um, we've been able to stay in touch because he comes to Washington occasionally. Um, the other is my roommates and my good friends from my time at Baylor. I reached out to them this morning before this conversation with you, John, because there was a fact I couldn't remember. And I texted three of them. They all immediately texted back within five minutes. Each of them correcting my faulty memory of something was, was fantastic. They are still a very important part of my life, those friendships that we make when we're in college, um, when we're, if we're really lucky, right? They, they remain good friends of ours for the rest of our lives. They were in our wedding, in, in my wedding. They were friends I've stayed in touch with and who come and visit me here and I go, go and visit in Texas. So um, those people are still very dear to me. That's fantastic. I heard someone say one time that your friends in high school um, will get you to college. You, the friends you make in college will get you through life. And, and that sounds like it's very true for you. And, and I know it's, it's been true for me um, on a much shorter scale. But um, so Michelle, while we're on that topic of uh, Baylor and cool people, I'm wondering if there is like a, a memory that you have from your time at Baylor that really just like encapsulates uh, just just what it means to be a part of this Baylor family, like maybe the coolest story that, that you've got uh, in your uh, time, in your Baylor career? Yes, um, I do. In fact, uh, I think about uh, a couple of different experiences at Baylor, but one is that I felt really fortunate to have been able to work at the Lariat. Oh um, my gosh, I didn't know that. It's what did you do at the Lariat? I worked there too. Michelle, this uh, is getting weird. <laughs> It is, it is, John. Um, I was a reporter and then I was on the editorial staff um, and did that for probably three or four semesters. What role really did you play? What role did you play on the editorial staff? I was just one of the copy editors. Okay, cool. And, and so I worked at night in Castellaw on the second floor in the newsroom, editing copy, uh, helping helping uh, people 
uh, write headlines and um, tighten up their stories. So it was, it was a very good experience. The other editors uh, were fantastic. Uh, it's where I learned to write and to think really critically about news, about what's important in a story, why someone would want to read it, um, distilling that down to its most elemental and efficient format. So I, I found it to be a great experience. And one of the things I, uh, re I really enjoyed writing, I enjoyed the news, I enjoyed uh, learning about the power of the written word and the opportunity to help, um, to help bring attention to issues that were going on on campus. Um, one of the most interesting experiences I had there was when I was writing columns. Um, and one of the things is you never know what's gonna resonate with someone. So I spent weeks researching and writing a column about AIDS. It was very important to me. I was very, I brought a lot of earnest energy to it. Um, I worked really hard on it and I pulled together what I thought was um, a really important set of insights um, on the state of public policy in that realm at that time. And I think three people noticed the column and said something to me about it. That said, I had worked very hard on it and that hard work was its own reward in some sense. I contrast that with a couple weeks later, I had uh, what I can only refer to now as a ridiculous and embarrassing minor injury during a softball class at Baylor where I was not paying attention and I took a softball to the hip off of the bat of a kid who could have probably played on the base Baylor baseball team. Um, it was a ridiculous and absurd injury. I wasn't really hurt. I just had a bruise, but it was really embarrassing. After that class, I went over to the Lariat where I was working as a copy editor. And I was telling my friends there the story of being hit in the hip with this softball. And one of the other editors encouraged me to write it down and to write it as a column because she thought it was a very funny story. So I sat down and in about 45 minutes, I banged off just a column detailing this ridiculous injury. It showed up in the paper the next morning. Everyone I saw read it, laughed about it, talked to me about it, my professors, my roommates, my friends. I even got a handwritten note from the then president of Baylor, Herb Reynolds. And that whole experience taught me a few things. One is you never know what's gonna resonate. The second is you really need to be prepared because you don't know what's gonna happen. And so the lessons I had learned in those journalism classes on how to write, how to write clearly and quickly benefited me that afternoon. I was able to get it all down on paper while it was all still fresh in my mind. Um, another, another thing that it taught me was that the Baylor community cares about each other, right? This wasn't a terrible thing. I didn't end up in the hospital. I didn't need stitches. I had a bruise on my hip. It was mostly my ego that was bruised. Um, but the Baylor community, including up to the president of the university, 
reached out, shared in that joy with me, helped the whole thing be a little more fun. Um, it also taught me about the importance and reach of the media. Even on something so simple and silly and absurd as an injury on the softball field, I had the opportunity to write this and reach the whole Baylor community in one day. So it gave me a healthy respect for the ability of the, of the media to set uh, information out and to help drive conversation, inclu including on matters as small um, and insignificant as something like that. But it's really stayed with me through my life that, um, that there's, the media have an awesome ability to communicate really broadly and widely. That's very interesting. And, and that part of the Baylor community from top to bottom coming together is still just so very true. Um, I saw it in my time there. Uh, we, there, there was a, um, a, uh, an organized, uh, I wouldn't even call it a protest, but um, movement that took place. A, um, a, a, a woman of color was walking to, to a class and she was harassed uh, on, on her walk by a, a fellow Baylor student. And the next day within, I'm almost positive it was 24 hours. It may have been two days. Um, an entire set of hundreds of students walked this girl to class in solidarity. And I was able to see people there like um, the vice president of student life um, and the, um, some of the representatives from the administration. Um, and then there were also just her fellow students there. Uh, it's also so um, visible. And you may have seen this, uh, a, a social work student at Baylor recently passed away a few weeks ago. And the university, despite um, the inability to come together in person, still celebrated uh, this young woman's life uh, in a way that might actually have been a larger memorial than if it had been limited to just in-person representation. So from the smallest to the biggest and from the top to the bottom, it is still so very true that the Baylor family comes uh, together. I've heard some stories about uh, the Baylor family in D.C. coming together, and those were just so interesting to learn about. The um, Melissa Rogers uh, told me about some of the get-togethers that um, the Baylor DC groups have had uh, pre-COVID. And when I spoke with Dr. Gardner um, for, for your introduction uh, on, on Thursday night, um, he told me some stories. But um, in all of that, uh, one thing that, that I do have a question around, and you kind of alluded to this already, was uh, in your time from Baylor to now, to being honored by the Baylor family, um, what what has been one of the largest challenges that you've faced, either individually, uh, softball to the hip, you know, or thematically, like navigating the role of media? Uh, what's been some of those larger challenges and what advice would you give to current Baylor students and young professionals who may want to see the same uh, aspiration and achievement of success as you have in order to leave a legacy for the future Baylor students who will be there to continue their own legacy. John, I'm really, so I have to confess that I'm a little uncomfortable giving advice because as I mentioned early, earlier, I still feel like I'm figuring it out. But I will tell you something that stuck with me as I've been trying to figure out that. The first word that comes to my mind on uh, challenges 
is balance. Balance is really hard to find and to maintain. When I showed up at Baylor for the first time 30-something years ago, we had a thing called Welcome Week. Do you still have it? We do, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's a little different, you know, these days, but it's still it's still there. It was really it was really important to me. So um, I showed up, sort of wide-eyed, um, impressionable, intimidated, excited, not really knowing what this would all hold. I remember and those feelings. First, yeah. Yeah. The very first thing we did at Welcome Week was they broke us up into small groups where they had two people there um, who led our small group um, who were sort of charged with taking care of us and socializing (laughs) us to Baylor. And they used this construct. I don't know if they still use this, but they called it the Welcome Week Wheel. And um, it was intended uh, to, it was sort of hokey, um, but it stuck with me all these years. So it must have been uh, very effective. Stuck with my roommates as well. The wheel had four parts. It had spiritual, mental, physical, and social. And it was all in balance. And that's kind of how they organized the week. One day we talked about mental. One day we talked about physical. One day we talked about spiritual. One day we talked about social. And I will say that I reached out to my roommates this morning by text because I wasn't quite sure I was remembering all four parts of the wheel exactly correctly. Um, And interestingly, I had forgotten about social um, and they all laughed about that because (laughs) we didn't social while we were there at Baylor. Um, But it's, it's stuck with me these, all these years because it is really the balance we all need to find, right? Every, every day we're balancing the mental, the physical, the social, and the spiritual. And if any one of those things gets out of balance, we aren't able to nurture it. We aren't able able to focus on it with the others. It can really uh, leave you a little wobbly. So for me, I have found that very first day at Baylor kind of hokey construct of thinking about what welcome week would be serving me for the rest of my life. Um, when I, when I am not able to get a good walk in or, you know, at least some time on the treadmill or some kind of physical activity, I recognize it. I'm not as sharp mentally when I'm not able to be in fellowship with my church community or able able to kind of tap into my um, my spiritual foundation or I'm not able to take time to really um, feed myself mentally by reading by studying you know these things will I can tell that they get out of out of whack and cause cause life to to feel a little wobbly so I'm, I don't know that I fully figured out exactly how to do that perfectly, um, but I will say that the Welcome Week wheel gave me a construct to think about it and co- that continues to serve me very well today. I'm trying to, I don't remember if they did the Welcome Week wheel, but I'm going <laughs> to, 
find out who's in charge of Welcome Week and make them bring it back if they don't. That is just genius. I've I've heard someone else talk about it in the in the area of life domains. Um, you know, and this and this person has split you know life up into you know it's it's as if they took the four categories and then made you know just smaller categories in each. But it's basically the same thing. And and his. Um, his advice is always that when you improve one, you know, you're actually improving all of them, you know, a rising tide lifts all ships and that, you know, the weakest part has a direct link to the strongest part. And there's a reason that they are that way. That is so, that's so perfect. I, I love that. And I really hope they still do that. And I just unfortunately don't remember it or, or missed it somehow. So, oh my gosh, thank you for that. That was wonderful Absolutely. yeah one of my roommates said that she still had her welcome week book up in her closet and she offered to go get it for me and read it to me and I told her she didn't have to she was at work this morning um but uh but yeah it left an important impression on on lots of people that is fantastic I'm so glad they had that for you guys so okay Michelle um I've, I've got some more fun, like rapid fire questions, if you're okay doing those. Um, yep. the, rule, the rule for rapid fire is, is that it's the first thing that comes to mind. It's, you know, we don't spend a lot of time as journalists, you know, we like to edit before we publish. Um, we're going to have to turn that off real quick and just do, <laughs> just do the first thought. Um, and if we okay. need to like, you know, follow up question or follow up explanation, like we'll, we'll take care of it then, but we're just going to go, you know, one thought at a time. So are you ready? Okay. Yep. Perfect. Got it. Okay. First question. Um, when there's stress, when there's anxiety, and in your career, I doubt there's either of those. You know, I'm sure it's just a breeze the whole time. Uh, but, you know, when, when there might be a few times of stress or anxiety, um, and when you can feel maybe that physical response or, or you, you, you feel yourself, you know, just confused, scared, even angry, um, what is that first thing that you do to recenter yourself and to find your grounding so that you can do uh, the very important next right thing? So if I have the time, I take a deep breath and I go on a walk. Walking really helps me clear my mind. It helps me uh, get out of the situation that I'm finding really stressful. Um, if I don't have time to go on a walk, then it will just be the deep breath. Yeah. I try to just take a moment and take a deep breath and think about what is required at this moment. Generally, uh, stress is not what's required. <laughs> Generally, it's taking some time and trying to clear the stress away and have more focus. Yeah. I always tell myself whenever I'm like uh, working on like what I call a surprise deadline, you know, either something that I forgot about or procrastinated on. Um, it's not really a surprise, but it's, it's my way to, to let myself off the hook. When I'm working on a surprise deadline, I always tell myself um, uh, fast feet trip easily. And it's that same thing of trying to remind myself to breathe, to try to do the right thing, not just the next thing. So, it's so funny you say that I say sometimes speed kills. Oh Yeah. Yeah, and oh, that's fantastic. The other thing is just thinking about the next right thing. It's mm -hmm. funny that you use that, but that's a phrase that I go to a lot. What is the next right thing? Uh, my next question is, uh, what show are you into right now? Are you guys binging anything on like Netflix or, or, or you know, Peacock or anything? I'm wondering if it's appropriate. Um, I bet it is, yeah. <laughs> 
Well, we're we're re-watching Chernobyl with our son. Oh, that's uh, such a good one. Which which was really good. Uh, we watched the Queen's Gambit uh, just in the last in the last few weeks. We watched Ted Lasso. Have you watched that? Oh, it's the show that we <laughs> all needed in twenty twenty. Isn't that fun? Yeah. yeah. Did you do you do you like Brene Brown's stuff? Do you ever read her stuff? Yeah. Have you have you listened to her podcast? Um, Unlocking us. She did an interview with um, Jason. I never pronounced. Yeah, Sudeikis. Yeah, thank you. Um, She did an interview with him and his co-star on there. It was fantastic. I'm gonna have to go find it. I'll have to go find. We loved it. We just finished it two nights ago. And how how long did it take you to watch Ted Lasso? Like I think a week and a half. We tried to spread it out. We don't really yeah. binge in one night. We spread it out. I would like to say that we don't binge all in one night, but we are known to stay up until 3 a.m. Because did you watch The Undoing with, uh, yes? Okay. Yes. We started that one and just, I mean, every episode would end and we'd go, no, we're going to watch another one. Yeah, just one more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, okay. So uh, on uh, keeping on media, but unrelated, um, I see God Bless Texas back there uh, behind you. And you mentioned Steve Gardner's book, but I, you know, I bet you read Steve Gardner's book for a totally different reason than just pleasure. Um, what, when you go to bed tonight, do you have anything on your nightstand, you know, that you're going to pick up and either read, or is there something you do, you know, right before bed, maybe play Tetris or something? I know it's a busy time professionally right now, so there may not be like you know time to read through the latest serial killer novel or something like that. But but if you could, what would be like that thing that you'd grab? Well, I will say that what I do most nights right before I go to bed is I, uh, and I know everyone says this is not what you're supposed to do, but I check email because it helps me go to bed knowing that I've handled things. I know that The experts will tell us that we should use that time right before we go to bed to really decompress from the day, (laughs) Um, but that's not how I'm wired. So uh, I go through email. I make sure there's nothing I've forgotten. I sort of think about what I'm going to be um, doing the next day. Uh, So that's that's probably the wrong answer, John, but that's what I do. Mm-mm. That's it makes me feel better about myself yet again because I used to somebody told me um, right at the beginning of of the pandemic you know write down the things that are stressing you right before you go to bed because it'll help your mind be relieved and you'll know that oh those things are there tomorrow I'll pick them up all it would right. make me do is rush off into the the office really quick to go <laughs> do those things it was not helpful at all so I I am like you I do a little bit of of email, task management, get everything kind of sorted and in order. I'll look at my schedule for tomorrow. So it's good to be well, in light company. Most, most of the, you know, most of the news for the next morning is set by late the evening before. So yeah. you can look at the front pages of the main newspapers. You can scroll through Twitter. You can figure out what's going to, what the next day is going to hold. And here in the kind of job that I have, that actually helps me be able to relax, kind of yeah. having a sense of what the next day is going to bring yeah and I'm not sure on the timeline or the the time zones exactly but probably about the time that you're either getting ready to go to bed or going to bed some other markets around the world are starting to show their first signs of the next day so that I can see how that would be um, helpful or unsettling depending on what you see that's right yeah depends so okay so um if the pandemic wasn't here 
if uh, money wasn't an object, if you had all the time in the world and could do whatever you wanted, where would y'all be right now if you could be anywhere? John, these are great questions, but I'm not. What's just one place that you'd like to go? Maybe a place you have been that you'd like to go back to or a place that you've never been and you had said, I'd really like to see that place. Yeah, so my family and I took an amazing trip to Spain a couple of years ago. Um, I would love to recreate that trip with my family. Uh, it was it was fantastic. So if I could be anywhere right now, I'd be in Spain with my family. That's a fantastic place to be. Yeah, I've I've never been to Spain, so I'm I'm gonna follow you there. Yeah, amazing. Okay, um, this one is uh, a little bit deeper, and you've already given so much wisdom and advice. Um, I hate to, you know, try to pull too much uh, from you, but I hope you'll let us borrow just a little bit more. Um, is there something that you remember, uh, and it can be from your career, it could be from your time as a, a student, uh, or it could be from your time as a child. Is there some advice or a life lesson that you learned that you've never forgotten and you'll never forget? something as simple as the golden rule, you know, or um, something much more uh, specific about maybe a, an accident that, that you had or an incident you had as a, a Baylor student, professional or a child. So the lesson that stayed with me is um, we can do hard things. Uh, there, I've, I have a tendency to, to look at look at a new project or a new thing and um, to doubt my ability sometimes, uh, to be intimidated by it, um, to let the whole thing kind of overwhelm me. And I remind myself that each of these big things is a series of small things, right? It's like you said a minute ago, it's doing the next right thing. So I remind myself of that. The other thing that I tell myself is that widen the circle. As often as I can, widen the circle. Don't shrink it. So as there are more perspectives we can bring in, more people we can bring in, more, or more ideas we can bring in, um, it will enrich us. It will make our process better. Whether that's in church or at work or in my family or my friends and my community, the, the broader we can get the circle, the better. I love it. Those are both so, so important and so meaningful. Thank you for sharing both of them. We got a twofer. That's fantastic. So this one's, this one's less deep. Um, it's, it's just about what's your favorite meal. And if you don't okay. have like a, a favorite meal, you know, what, what's the next thing you want to eat? Tacos. Tacos. Okay. Tacos are the perfect meal. They're perfect yeah. for, you know, any time of day. Um, they're, they're compact. You get everything in there. You get your protein, you get your vegetables, handheld, compact, I love you know, it. perfect. Yeah. Did you have a favorite place um, for tacos when you were uh, in Texas in, in Waco? No, not, not, I bet I did John, but I can't remember. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. I'm trying to think of what mine would be and I can't, I can't think of it off the top of my head. I just, I'm like you, I'll just, I'll just eat a taco if you hand it to me. Exactly. I'm not yep. very disappointing. <laughs> so, okay, Michelle, my last question uh, for you is, um, what are you deeply grateful for right now? 
I'm deeply grateful for my family. They ground me. So uh, there are lots of things that come and go. Um, and uh, particularly with this last year where we've been doing work from home together as a family, doing our different things all in the same physical space, I'm reminded how, uh, how much they enrich every day I have. I sometimes joke, I don't know what our pets are going to do when we all go back to work. <laughs> we're out of the house every day. But the truth is, I don't know what I'm going to do, right? Every day I get to see my husband and my kids at lunch and throughout the day I can get up and take a, you know, 30 second walk and bump into someone else in my family um, who loves me and who cares about me and who they're doing interesting things. So um, like, like my pets, <laughs> I think I'm going to have an adjustment going back. I look forward to being back in the office when I can be with my work friends. Um, but I am going to miss this concentrated time I've had with my family every day. Yeah, it's, that's a fantastic perspective. Michelle, thank you so much for spending this time with me. And thanks so much for sharing your story with us. It has been truly, truly uh, so fun to get to know you uh, a little bit more and to celebrate you. And I can't wait to celebrate uh, uh, with you uh, for Hall of Fame this year. I'm Jonathan Platt, and you've been listening to Direct Line Conversations, the podcast, brought to you by Baylor Line Foundation. You can follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And if you haven't, hop on over to wherever you're listening to this and follow, leave a rating, and a review. It really does help. Join me next week for another Direct Line Conversation. Thanks for listening.